Yeah, well, I mean, from my experience growing up using cassettes, mixtape meant something you would make yourself out of a bunch of different records or other tapes or other any other format, even CDs for a while, um, of songs you thought went together well, songs you just wanted to hear, songs you wanted someone else to hear. Those kind of personalized mixtapes uh, was what I think of when I think of mixtapes first. Now, of course, this, the term has been used in other contexts for other things. In hip-hop especially, the hip-hop mixtape was sort of the first way to get sounds around from DJ sets and of their breakbeats and things like that. And other rappers, once they started rapping, especially when they were using people's music behind them that they didn't necessarily think they could, they, they, they didn't want to like press copies and sell it. So they would pass around tapes of it. So, and weirdly enough in hip hop now, people still call things mixtapes. I mean, you can download a file from a, of an artist and they say, here's my new mixtape and it's never touched any form of tape <laughs> at all. But I think that's kind of cool because it, it I think it's kind of proof that the tape has a cool cachet. The word tape still has a cool connotation to it, even if it's not used as much. Or, you know, they would have started calling them mixed CDs or mixed files or mixed digital or something like that, you know, mixed streams. <laughs> the official tapes, it's a Grateful Dead radio program that airs on a bunch of radio stations around the globe and it focuses and highlights the official releases that have come out of the Grateful Dead's vault. And every so often we get lucky and we catch up with somebody who's got something that's uh, very connected to the Grateful Dead. I'm Mark Masters and my book is called High Bias, The Distorted History of the Cassette Tape. And wouldn't you know it, the Grateful Dead come up a time or two. Generally, most of the book is sort of a cultural musical history of the tape. How cassette tapes changed music in so many ways, changed the way uh, music got circulated by musicians and artists, changed the way music got recorded by those artists and also got traded and replicated dubbed and stuff by fans uh people taping records off each other people making mixtapes of their records people going and taping concerts most of the time uh unauthorized <laughs> versions of concerts and also the way tape kind of just circulated music all all parts of the world there's music that wouldn't have existed if it weren't for the cheapness and portability and ease of use of cassette tapes and with that we're going to take each of those topics and explore them in detail this is the official tapes It is literally a history of the cassette tape, so I do get into the technology and how it grew out of magnetic tape and how it became the standard uh, format after reel-to-reels and, and kind of killed eight tracks, too. And there's all sorts of weird history things in, that made it come to be. Like when wire recording first came out, the main reason the guy, the guy who invented it wanted it to happen was because he was frustrated that when he'd call his friend and they weren't there, he, the friend didn't know he'd called. <laughs> so he came up with this idea of like magnetizing a wire and then when you run the magnet back over it it would replay what the way the way you'd align the magnetic particles on the wire and eventually tape turned out to be a better format for that so tape grew out of wire recording that way so yeah a guy who was making the gold bands for cigarettes <laughs> realized that he also was interested in the sound recording and he realized the paper he was using for these bands might be good paper to hold man magnetic charges and record sound with which he was right and he so he was another step along the way and um the, the final big step was this guy lou ottens at phillips in uh netherlands making and there have been other kind of cassette versions before his they were some of them were too big to carry around some of them were small but they just couldn't hold a lot of audio on them and he kind of figured all that out combined all that stuff into one thing that he called the compact cassette and then his company decided we should let other companies make this too without charging them to use our design 
in hopes that it would become the standard and everybody would make more money that way. And they were right. That's what happened, basically. But I explained it in the book. It's a little bit technical what bias actually means and everything. But tapes that had high bias were supposed to be better quality. In the heyday of blank tapes back in the 80s and 90s, uh, high bias was this thing that was touted as a higher quality tape than normal bias. I thought that kind of served well as a title because there's a bias in the way tapes were used well there's a bias in my book I, it's my perspective on tapes not everybody's going to agree with everything in the book although it is pretty it's mostly factually based <laughs> but um it, it's more sort of and and the distorted subtitle too are more sort of about how uh tapes kind of affected music changed music distorted music they literally did it because they were analog and they didn't replicate music perfectly but they also sort of changed the course of music history in so many ways so there's kind of a bias and distortion just in the fact that cassettes came in and kind of disrupted stuff before there the walkman and the and it, or any kind of portable cassette player existed you didn't take your music with you anywhere really i mean you'd listen to the radio maybe in your car you might take records over to a friend's place or listen to you know there's still community aspects but the idea of like having personal music with you outside of your house was probably really did not exist in in many forms at least not in a mass form so that was a big change and I, and the the kind of double change on top of that is people start taking it out taking a walkman out with them on the subway or walking on the bus or whatever they're doing they're soundtracking their lives kind of the, the music's becoming much more incorporated into every part of life it's not a thing i just sit down and put my record on you know there's all sorts of other ways i can listen and i think that lent a lot of to this idea that we all take for granted now that your music is sort of an expression of your personality your tastes or kind of what kind of music do you like means a lot more means it means something much more different than it did before tapes came out um just to be able to take it anywhere was such a, a big thing and it, it's funny because the guy who invented the walkman the guy at sony he thought well, people aren't going to just want to listen to it on their own. He made this little thing that you could talk to someone with their headphones on and, and kind of have a community. But people right away were like, no, this I want to be able to listen to just what I want to listen to when I'm walking around or when I'm doing stuff or whatever. And that, you know, pe some people thought that was a bad thing because it made people a little less social, maybe. But I don't know. I think overall it was a really good thing. I certainly was when I was a kid, super excited that I suddenly could listen to a tape when I'm like mowing the lawn or <laughs> riding my bike or whatever. immediately once blank tape started being made the industry was like okay we're going to lose a sale every time someone tapes a record from somebody else which isn't that unreasonable a thing to think but it was it turned out to be a lot more complicated than that and also very complicated to figure out well what can you do about that i mean they, you could tax put a tax on blank tapes and have it have it that that revenue go to labels or artists or whatever but what if i'm buying a blank tape to record my voice or what if i'm buying it to record something i already own or it, it gets tricky that way and also this idea there was an idea at one point that you know they, they could say it's illegal to do but what are you going to do go into people's houses and say i caught you <laughs> recording your record or whatever but anyway so one of the things that they decided that they should do is let's just try to make a a big media message out of this and say you shouldn't do this make shame people out of doing it and home taping is killing music is the, kind of the most famous one which was started by a british industry uh trade industry trade company um trade association i'm sorry um but and there were a lot of other forms of that trying to putting out ads with artists saying please don't do this please respect our you know and and again i i don't think anybody's right or wrong, wrong completely on one side or the other but it was sort of like we find out with napster and mp3s later 
it's really hard to stop this. And if the industry comes off as a scold, people are much more likely to say, okay, then I'm going to do it. <laughs> you know, if, if they come up with a way to do, to, to approach it, that have been a little more sympathetic to what, you know, people who don't have enough money to buy every record they want, maybe they could have come to some sort of, you know, compromise with everybody, but immediately people are like, oh yeah, you think, you think this is bad. I'm doing it. Hip-hop lent itself more to this working for them because it really just started as a DJ art at parties and people wanted to hear everyone. They were happening so often, especially in New York, people wanted to hear it all. And the only way to do that is if someone was standing there with a cassette or eventually DJs would record them themselves and sell them and things like that. And that's that's how the music got around way before any hip-hop ever really actually came out on an official album through an official record label or anything like that a lot of these DJs made their living off of selling their tapes eventually. I mean, they get paid at parties and stuff too, but like when Grandmaster Flash would charge a couple hundred bucks a tape, you know, some of these other DJs would just sit out with their tapes on the street and people come up and buy them from them. And then, you know, uh, rich drug dealers wanted them too and wanted their names on. That was another thing is the, the these tapes would sometimes have shout outs in the middle of the, in the, of the DJ set where they'd say, this this song goes out to so-and-so. And people started paying for the privilege of being shouted out on a mixtape. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, pretty much everybody in early hip hop, you can trace them back to some sort of tape trading, mixtaping kind of situation. But, and many of these, these things would not have happened if they didn't have tapes to trade. So in, in metal, the whole tape scene was much more driven by fans. So some bands had made some of their demos on tapes and circulated around and fans would trade them and stuff. But a lot of it was fans trading tapes with each other with recordings of new bands that either records that hadn't come out yet or bands that had made demos that hadn't made official records yet. And they were also doing a lot of, uh, like the Cassette Underground, a lot of trading through magazines. A lot of the early metal fanzines had these pen pal sections in the back where you could write in and say, here's the bands I really like. Would you send me a tape of something that you think is is like that and i'll send you back a tape of something good and or people would say i wanted this iron maiden album and someone would send it to them with a bunch of extra like live stuff on the end and just a, a lot of fans got created that way and the metal bands figured out that this was happening and most famously metallica when they couldn't figure out a record deal for their first record lars Ulrich, who was a big tape trader himself figured well why don't we just make a demo tape and, and make a bunch of copies and send it out to people. I mean, he knew that was probably going to get around faster than any record they could put out. And it was right. That's that basically is what happened. And they got end up getting a record deal not long after because of that. And then uh, just a few years ago, they reissued that tape with the original like handwritten <laughs> song track list on the front and everything, which is pretty cool. The cassette tape underground is sort of an outgrowth of a thing that was called mail art, where artists would mail each other artworks. Sometimes the mail would be on the postcard or on a letter or whatever. Um, just this sort of circulating underground of people making homemade art kind of outside of galleries and outside of sort of approved spaces for visual art. And of course, they immediately picked up on the tape as another thing that they could do this with. And then other musicians and people who, especially experimental noise musicians, picked up on that too. And so they're just this sort of huge network of people 
making cassettes of their own music of their own weird collages audio art things like that sending it to each other sometimes they would leave part of it blank and say you put something on this and send it back to me or you put something on this and send it to another artist and they'll put something on it and it's a crazy kind of network of of people and a lot of magazines like uh op magazine and some other of these underground music magazines would have sections in the back where you could just say hey i make tapes send me a tape i'll send you a tape and people just i mean the amount of connection I, it's sort of hard for me to fathom how many people knew each other and were in touch with each other without the internet back then but they were <laughs> to the tape trading and making tapes for each other really got that going and it's just so great i mean people would get creative with the packaging with what they sent it to each other in i think i have an example in there is one guy bought an old like found an old baby doll from a in a goodwill and and <laughs> cut it open put the tape in there slapped an address on it and sent it to, <laughs> to one of his friends who he's creating tapes with so it's pretty cool Every, everybody i talked to for that section who were sort of known in the underground as making a lot of tapes they all knew each other too i mean everybody's very familiar with each other even if they'd never like come face to face before or met in person so it's a pretty i think it's a pretty fascinating thing that way and, and it's people who are picking up this book who just want to you know love cassettes as kids or whatever but don't have no idea of this world i, mean, I wanted to you know i, I want to introduce them to because it it's really vital and it's a big part of it but i you know i'm, I'm not 100 sure that everybody in the world's going to be like oh this is super interesting some people might get a little bored <laughs> The very fact that that people tape every show, you know, and then hassle to trade to get copies of the tapes of every show means that, you know what I mean. Each show is is unique, and so, you know, I I mean one doesn't doesn't seem to exclude the other. The Dead had a little hiatus for a couple of years there in the mid '70s, and when they came back, they found that they their fan base had even grown, even though they hadn't put a record out or anything, because people were catching up on all their old shows that were circulating around on different cassettes, and people were because the way their fan base worked, that people kind of were so had such personal relationship with the way they got into this band. They were very personal with their tapes too and everybody would have different oh this is the best version of this show or oh this is the way i like to decorate this these tapes you should use this and so the dead eventually said well it's okay for you to come and tape our shows basically and that coincided with right around the same time that cassettes were getting more prominent and it just kind of blew the whole thing up so the cassette coming in really helped make it easier to bring equipment in and tape and it kind of coincided with the dead realizing hey this is actually good for us i mean there's a picture in my book of this tons of people just holding up these microphones <laughs> at a dead show um but i, I think it, it it's a really kind of cool because i'm not a huge fan of the music I, I think their music's fine i'm not a big fan one way or the other but i think their community aspect and the way they cultivated their fan base and the way their fans deal with each other and and became kind of a community on their own is really cool it's a really cool model of how you can kind of build a following without having to be super promoty about it or super corporate about it and their example made many more people i think go to shows that weren't grateful dead shows and bring cassette tapes with them and bring cassette recorders and i think it just the fact that they approved it and and so many people were doing it made just got it, it was it was a famous thing like people in music knew even if you weren't a deadhead that this was happening there and i think people probably did the same thing at other shows and there were lots of other bands who i mean the, the dead were sort of held up as this um great example of it but there are other bands who were like yeah sure come tape our shows a lot of bands were fine with it and so i and i th don't think a lot of that would happen without the dead 
being really cool with it too so in that sense they did impact you know bootleg culture and cassette tape culture and trading culture too and people were having parties at home where they'd all dub their each other's uh stash of tapes that wouldn't would have been really hard with old equipment and old technology so so yeah the cassette really is a, a, a super like big part of their story i mean a lot of the trading of their shows is very similar to the trading of hip-hop tapes or metal tapes or there, there's a lot of similarities there for sure and the cassette definitely facilitated that i mean i don't think it ever would have happened if people had still had to be dragging in huge pieces of equipment or or even you know it was happening before cassettes came along i mean people were bringing these big reel-to-reel recorders in or you know big bulky things that were really hard to hide because the dead, at first the dead wasn't on board i mean they weren't against it but just most bands and and venues were not interested in people bringing taping <laughs> the shows tapes are still being made for cheap and quickly within the past 10 15 years or so i think a lot of uh bands and labels who wanted to be involved in getting their music out and getting it around started realizing well you know these are people who are fans of physical format still who for whom streaming they might use streaming but they're not going to let it be the end all and be all music and so they want to release stuff and they and the vinyl resurgence has just priced them out i mean it's really expensive to make records and it takes long and and so a lot of these uh, sort of independent undergroundish labels, I guess you'd call them, although it, it, a lot of different types of labels do this, started making things on cassette and selling them on Bandcamp primarily, which is kind of the best marketplace for that kind of thing, as well as digital downloads coming with them too. And so so I, I actually, <coughs> excuse me, in my final chapter, I cover a bunch of those labels, the ones that I like, there are you know so many. Bandcamp actually has a, a monthly column called the Tape Label Report, and there's like five or six new tape labels in there every month. So there's tons of them. But the ones that I've interacted with most and the ones that I like the most, I actually I covered them and I actually I don't know if I told you about this, but I'll send you one. I made a companion cassette that's uh artists from these labels that I like that I talk about in the last chapter. They 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 each gave me a track for this compilation. And so it's they, uh the names of some of the labels like Astral Spirits, uh Crash Symbols, uh Moon Glyph, Houseu Mountain, Orange Milk. If, if you're interested at all, look those up on Bandcamp. They have a lot of interesting, and it's a, a wide range of types of music. I mean, it tends toward the more experimental because their target audience is people who are patient enough to put a tape on and like let it roll, <laughs> you know. But um, it's uh, within that genre, within that kind of range, there's all sorts of different kinds of music that's happening on cassettes right now. It's such an international impact. There's a whole chapter about all the international labels and artists who used it to put get music around that wouldn't have existed otherwise. And I think that's a really important part of the story and a really a really fun thing too. I mean, it's just amazing how many cassettes there are out there that that you know could could easily slip into the ether if there weren't people out there. There's people out there diligently looking for everything they can find on cassettes still, which I think is pretty awesome. My friends who go and and scour bins and stuff have more trouble now finding it than they used to. And a lot of times they'll go to a store and they'll be like, you used to have all these cassettes, what'd you do with them? It's like, no one wanted them, we threw them away. And they're like, oh, cause that might, in a lot of ways that might be the last copy of those music that existed. Cause it's not like the people who are making it weren't making some sort of digital backups or anything, you know? So, so it's a combination. I think, I think it is happening again in a lot of places that people would be surprised that the cassettes are still going, but then, and then at the same time, some of the stuff from the heyday is harder to find. and there are people out there luckily diligently trying to rescue everything they can you know it's easy from both perspectives to say oh you know streaming is impersonal and and clean digital sound is is kind of sterile and not personal 
And I think there's some points to that. There's also some points to the fact that sometimes you listen to something on cassette and you certainly could hear it better <laughs> if you heard a CD or if you heard a digital scream. You know, cassette definitely sometimes muffles it or the cassette can decay and things like that. So I think there's good and bad things about both. I do think that <clears throat> there's something neat about the the kind of the cassette kind of fits yeah, analog ears for one thing and also sort of the mortality of everything <laughs> you know it's got it, it changes it can decay it can get worse which is i think that's an over uh overstated part of it i mean i've got cassettes from when i was a kid that still play fine it's a more durable format than most people think but i i think the fact that it added something to, sort of like vinyl to pops and cracks it added like hiss and little things and and some artists actually took advantage of that some artists were like my music is going to sound better if you don't hear every little clarity nanosecond of it <laughs> like that it gets a little smudged as it's being made there there's character to that and there, there's sort of a reality to that that's the kind of weird irony is that sometimes music on a cassette sounds more authentic because it's not as hi-fi you know it's not it's authentic is can have two different terms different, different uh senses like maybe you could think authentic is the clearest most pristine sound so it's like you're standing next to the uh, person playing instrument but maybe authentic also means it didn't pass through a lot of production it didn't pass through a lot of gatekeepers it didn't get approved by a bunch of executives it's just a guy making a, a song on a tape and you're hearing it how it how he did it in his room so i i think i think there's interesting uh you can have interesting angles on both of those. I think there's good things and bad things about all this, all that stuff. But I'm glad the cassettes are around and we're not losing the good things that they offered that don't happen now with other formats. Okay, cool. Well, there's a, I have a website that's highbiasbook.com, which basically just right now directs you to the publisher's site where you can purchase it from the publisher. I'm also hoping to have more up there about you know uh, book events and things like that soon. Uh, if you want to get the book directly from me or the cassette that I put out or both, I have a Bandcamp that's highbiasbook.bandcamp.com so people can go there as well. Um, in terms of other socials, I mean, I, I'm on Twitter here and there, but I'm sort of fading out of that a little bit because of how crazy it's becoming there. But I go under under Narcissist, but with an M. So Narcissist is my name on Twitter. Um, but everything, everything you'd want to find out about the book is at those two links I talked about, either highbiasbook.com or highbiasbook.bandcamp.com.